Good morning, Houston Northwest. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. Fantastic. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and take it out, open it up, head over to Luke chapter 13. We're going to be in Luke 13 and Mark 11 today, so you can go ahead and kind of put your thumb there, that sort of thing, mark your place. But Luke 13 is where we will be starting this morning. Uh, so as you're headed over there, just a couple of quick things. First of all, if you are our guest today, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, Houston Northwest Church. I want to tell you, we believe that our reason for existing as a church is to make Houston more like heaven uh, by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. So we think that our job is to help you become more like Jesus. So no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, maybe you've been a Christian for just a minute, maybe you've been a Christian your entire life, maybe today's your first day in church, maybe you've been to a church a long, long time. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we want to help you take whatever your next step might be. And you can just let us know wherever you're at in that journey by filling out a Connect card. So there's a Connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you. Take that card, you can fill it out. At the end of the service, our offering basket will come by and you can drop that in there. Um, you can also connect with us through the digital Connect card. The digital Connect card is the digital version of that card. There's a QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. You can just scan that with your phone. It'll take you to a digital version. If you're joining us online, uh, you can also just find a, a link that'll be dropped into the chat and can use that to connect with us. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that. I also want to remind you, we'll be starting Advent next week. Advent is probably my favorite season in the life of the church year as we celebrate the season of waiting before the arrival of the Christ child. So I hope that you'll be joining us next week as we kick off our Advent services and as we head towards Christmas. All right, now, as you're headed over to Luke 13, I want to just give a brief introduction to the Bible. For those of us who are here who may be new to the Bible, so very quickly, the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament gives us a record of God's chosen people, Israel, and tells us about how they're waiting for a rescuer, for a redeemer, because they were often under the rule of another nation. So, for instance, the Roman government. Now, we read about them waiting for either a political leader or a revolutionary military leader that will come and throw off the yoke of oppression. When we get to the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, then we find out who that Messiah, Rescuer, Redeemer is. We discover that his name is Jesus, that Jesus is not a political leader, that Jesus is not a military revolutionary leader, but instead that Jesus is God's very Son. And so, we discover the good news about who Jesus is and what God has done in him. We discover that, number one, he has pursued us. So God has pursued us by becoming flesh. We discover that Jesus dies a sacrificial death on a cross for each of us to pay the penalty for our sin. And so we then find out, though, that his life did not end there, but that he was brought back from the dead three days later by God the Father. So in doing all of those things, Jesus paved a way for us to have relationship with God. So here's the good news that the church began to preach. God has done everything necessary for you to have relationship with him in Jesus Christ. He's already done everything. He's pursued you. He died for your sin. He's conquered death. He's provided a Holy Spirit to live in power. The earliest Christians went to the end of the earth preaching this message. And they today would have you know that we at Houston Northwest are still preaching that same message, that same gospel, that same good news. And I would encourage you to respond to that today if you have not already done so. So that's what we're preaching. 
And today we're reading a book written by Luke. Luke was one of Jesus' first followers. He wrote a biography of Jesus. And today we're going to look at a story and an incident that happened involving Jesus. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke chapter 13 together, starting in verse 1, and we're going to see what it is that the Lord might have for us today. So, if you would, please bow your heads in prayer with me, and let's ask God to speak to us today. Father, I know that every person in this room is in a different place. <laughs> they need to hear different things. And God, I can't do that, but you can. And so, Father, I pray that as we go through your word today, that you would stir us up. That, Lord, today, we wouldn't just hear a sermon, but we would meet with the living God. Move in our hearts today, God. Speak to us. Break through our hard exterior. If we've put a shell around our heart, Lord, we pray, turn it to flesh. God, shatter whatever barriers we have put up to obedience so that we might escape slavery and strongholds and instead run to the Spirit. Move today, Lord. God, we pray and we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed, do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. The question that we always ask that's really hard for us is why do bad things happen? We typically ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But we can even just ask why do bad things happen because bad things happen to all of us. And this passage is really jumping at that, even though it may not feel like it at first. But that's exactly what Jesus is driving at. Every person in this room, if you live long enough, you are going to have something terrible, tragic, or painful befall you. And we wonder why. Why does that sort of thing have to happen? And today I want to talk about the backwards way of understanding what Jesus teaches. You see, Jesus teaches us that we ought to continue on in faith, trusting and obeying and believing, even when it feels like the pain, and the hurt, the pressure is too much. Here in this moment today, in this parable, in this incident, I want us to see what it is that God would have us do. Whenever the rest of the world wants to give up or say it's useless or this isn't doing any good, we learn something valuable. And that's what I want us to see. I want us to see how God brings fruit in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the fallout. So today I want us to just start with that 
part at the start of chapter 13, I want us to just think about the fact that we find fruit in our universal mess. I want to just talk about our universal mess for a second. Did you notice there at the beginning, Jesus is sort of dealing with this classic question. People are apparently thinking about a recent incident. We don't know exactly what happens, but based on the context, it seems that there had been a group of Jewish revolutionaries that had attempted to lead an uprising, and Pilate, the governor of the area, crushed it. And when he did that, to make a statement, he took their blood and mixed it with the blood of the sacrifice that they were going to offer and apparently put it on the altar in the temple. Sort of to make a statement, a power play. This is who I am. And the question was, were those people sinful if they were punished in that way? That, that was the question. And then Jesus gives a, another example. He talks about a tower that fell on 18 people and killed them in Siloam. And he says, well, do you think that those people were more sinful because this terrible thing happened to them? And in both cases, he says, no, that's, that's not the case. He, he says the same thing in another part of the Bible. In John chapter 9, there's a man who's born blind. And people ask, well, who sinned that would make this man be born blind from birth? And this is what Jesus says in John 9 and here again in Luke 13. And this is the thing that I want you to hear. Every person who lives on this life or lives on this earth who lives life on this earth, will be hit with pain, suffering, and tragedy. That's what he says. Jesus says it in other places, Matthew chapter 6, it rains on the just and the unjust. In the gospel of John, in this life you will have trouble. Here's the thing that we don't like to talk about. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not, junk is going to happen to you. Just going to happen. Sometimes we've bought into a sort of coffee cup Christianity, which is inspirational verses, and we then are shocked and surprised whenever things happen to us, and we start doing an inventory. Maybe I'm being sinful. Maybe that thing happened to that person because they're an evil person. Now listen to me, God disciplines, judgment is real, but the thing that Jesus comes right out and says immediately, every single person gets hit by junk. Everybody. Sometimes, too, I think that we even think that the stuff that happens to us is not that big of a deal, right? Uh, recently, I, I go see a counselor on a regular basis. I was talking to my counselor recently and uh, basically talking about something that happened to me a long time ago. And as I was talking about this, I said, well, you know, I just feel like so many people have gone through so much worse. To which my counselor replied, no, that's pretty bad. And I think a lot of us are walking through life, we have been wounded, we've been betrayed, we've been hurt, tragedy has befallen us, disease has attacked us. And these, these sorts of arrows that we've been hit with in the course of a lifetime, and we keep trying to rationalize it as if to say, maybe, you know, I've done something to deserve this, or, or, or maybe this, this is just uh, something that God's trying to punish me with. Now, here's the thing. Again, God disciplines, that sort of thing is real. But what I want us to hear is that just by existing on this earth, you step into the fray. The scripture is clear. There is a real devil. We have a real enemy. Satan wakes up every morning thinking, how can I kill you? If he can't kill you, then he wants to hurt you, marginalize you, sideline you, disqualify you. He will do everything he can to wreck you. The scripture says it, right? 
that we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the stuff that happens in this world is, a, is a, just a, a playing out of sinfulness from Genesis chapter 3. Since then, sin and death have entered the world. The Bible tells us that in the book of Romans. We also know what? That the sin and death that's entered the world, there's just a bunch of brokenness that has trickled down and we are all getting hit in the blast radius. Every single one of us. So, we are in a universal mess, and there is no one, once you, I don't know what age, but at some point, all of us, if you live long enough, you're like, man, life is hard. Everybody. Now, what do we do with that? So, Jesus tells a story about a man who plants a fig tree, and the fig tree doesn't bear any fruit, and so the man is ready to rip it up, but the gardener says, no, 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 not yet. Now, in the parable, in the story that Jesus tells, the gardener, the one who is standing in between the destruction of the tree, is Jesus. That's, that's who the gardener represents. Why? Well, so we're in this universal mess, but then the second thing that happens here is we discover that Jesus gives grace. Jesus gives grace. Now, why does Jesus give grace? Jesus is giving grace to simply preserve life. There's a concept in theology known as common grace. Now, we talk about saving grace. Saving grace is place your faith in Jesus and you will be saved from your sin and given the promise of eternal life, have the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's another category called common grace. Common grace is available to anyone whether they believe in Jesus or not right? These are just the ways that God shows himself in the world, right? Prime rib at Christmas is common grace. Amen, right? You take a bite, you're like, yep, there is a God. All right, that's it. Beautiful scenery, something that is just moving at the heart level. The well turned phrase, all of these things, these beautiful places where we encounter things, it's not just reserved for the church, it is for anyone in the world, and it is God's gift of being human. This is common grace. You just get to experience the goodness of God. So here's the thing I want you to notice, is that in Colossians chapter 1, we discover that everything has been made by Jesus, by him, through him, for him, and to him. That's what Colossians says. Colossians, Jesus made everything. Now listen to me. You are only still alive because Jesus wants you to be alive. Whoa. True story. All has been made by him, through him, for him, and to him. And he is the one who sustains us. He sustains us. He holds us together. So let's go back to the parable. Jesus is essentially saying the only reason that a tower hasn't fallen on you, or your blood has, hasn't been mixed with the blood of sacrifice. The only thing that you're still alive, basically, is because the gardener, Jesus, has decided that you need to breathe again today. Your life is a gift being preserved by Jesus. Now, that's pretty intense. You're like, wow. Jesus is preserving me right now. Why? 
And Steve, what does that have to do with bad things happening to good people? I'm so glad you asked. So we have this truth that terrible things happen to every single person and that we're being preserved by Jesus. Why? Why does he do that? And this is what gets to the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that Jesus does this so that we will be fruitful. He intercedes for the fruitful. Now, I want to be clear. I can't know the mind of God, and I'm not going to pretend that this sermon or any sermon or this parable gives us every single reason, but here's what I want to know. I want you to know is that God desires you to be fruitful. And in this parable, the reason that judgment is not falling at the root of the tree is because the gardener wants the tree to bear fruit first. So I want to talk about that for a second. A few months ago, I preached a sermon about fruitfulness. I preached that from John chapter 15, and I made a passing reference to to this passage. I wanted to come back and do a deeper dive because I feel like this passage is often overlooked. I also feel like there's another quality to fruitfulness. So when I spoke about fruitfulness a few months back, I talked about the fact that fruit is that thing that naturally occurs. In other words, apples grow on apple trees and grapes grow on grapevines and so forth. They are the natural expression of the type of plant on which they find themselves. And that's a great quality of fruit, but I want us to talk about another quality of fruit, which I think matters immensely in this parable and in other places, and it's this. It's that fruitfulness is often about multiplication. Fruitfulness is about multiplication. So, from the very beginning, the heart of God has always been to fill the earth with people who would worship him, right? From the very beginning, be fruitful and Multiply, right? Fruitfulness and multiplication, always tied together. So how does that operate? Well, you see fruit, so for like the apple, the apple is like kind with the apple tree, but it has something essential inside of it. It has a seed. And a seed is the kernel that can reproduce the tree. So sort of like this, right? You start with a seed. And then the seed grows into a plant, and then the plant, if it's healthy, can bear fruit, and then the fruit contains a seed, which can then start the entire process all over again. So the way that it works, in theory, is that the fruit tastes really good, and so a bird comes and and grabs a, a fig, and then takes off with it and eats that, and then along the way, the seed is scattered from the fig, and then more fig trees grow from that. And so the seed goes to a plant, goes to fruit, goes to seed, and the process happens all over again. So in one sense, fruit is this thing that grows up from within us and expresses who we are in Christ. But in another sense, fruitfulness is intended so that the gospel of the kingdom will multiply and go further. Does that make sense? Are you all with me? Kind of. Okay. All right. I'll do better. Here we go. So it is to taste good so that then the kingdom might move forward. Now, I'm mentioning seed and mentioning multiplication because if you were to look in the New Testament, you would see over and over that seed is used to talk about the multiplying power of the kingdom. Here's just a few verses. 
A farmer goes out and sows some seed. Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable of a mustard seed. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. Matthew chapter 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. Mark chapter 4, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And how it grows, he doesn't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God made it grow. On and on it goes. We could keep going. Seed is mentioned so that it will multiply. So how is this supposed to work? We are supposed to have fruitfulness in our lives that grows up. And as it grows up, people see things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives. They see those qualities and they draw near to us to, as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And as they draw near to us and they taste those things, what then happens? They are supposed to then experience something which causes them to go, Jesus truly is king, Jesus truly is Lord, and this gospel and this kingdom is real, and I want to be part of it, and it's supposed to multiply. Does that make sense? So in the same way that the fruit on a tree draws in maybe a bird that spreads the seed, our fruitfulness ought to draw in others that would then result in the multiplication of the kingdom. So Jesus wants you to bear fruit so that the kingdom might be seated in other places. This all sounds fantastic until we get to the verse where he talks about fertilizer, right? Like, yeah, I want to bear fruit. So the tree with no fruit, we recognize in verse 8, the gardener says, I have a great idea. I'll just put fertilizer on it. Now, it doesn't say fertilizer there, you guys. You probably already know this, but I mean, it, it, it says poop. That's what it says. Manure, dung, that is what is being piled on to the roots of the tree in order to bring forth fruit. And this is the thing that I want us to think about. And this is the thing that God has been showing me lately. Every person in this room, every person, every person on this planet is caught in the blast radius of sin. Every person is going to experience tragedy, brokenness, hurt, betrayal, pain. Every person. Trusting in Jesus will not protect you from that pain. So what good does it do to believe in Jesus? This is what it does. Those who believe in Jesus have the ability to bear fruit in the midst of pain while others do not. That's the difference. And what is happening here in this parable is that Jesus is saying, I will redeem the junk of this world that will actually grow fruit in your life so that you might have the opportunity to expand the gospel of the kingdom, I can redeem the pain. In other words, the manure that's piled onto our lives, the stink that comes onto our lives, those things that happen, that stuff can be fodder for fruit if we will allow it. 
We can allow God to redeem the worst parts of our lives so that we might express fruitfulness. Uh, On the church calendar, next Sunday, Advent begins. But today, if you were to look at the church calendar, today is a Sunday known as Christ the King Sunday. And Christ the King Sunday is a day when historically the church has said, Jesus is Lord over everything, even if it doesn't feel like it. Right? I mean, we're seeing, you know, Russia firing missiles into Ukraine to destroy civilian infrastructure just out of cruelty and vindictiveness. We wake up this morning to the headlines of uh, another shooting in a nightclub. There's really no rhyme or reason to any of these things other than just the fact that we live in a nasty, broken, sinful, fallen world and junk happens. And this is the crazy truth that Christians believe. Somehow Jesus is still Lord over all of it. How is Jesus Lord over all of it? Are you ready? This is how he is Lord. Because he can take the worst things that have happened and redeem them. You will be hurt. Will you allow God to redeem it for fruit? One of the most powerful things that I've ever witnessed in my time as a pastor was in the wake of the terrible Collins tragedy that happened this summer. Sunday after that, my friend Glenn came to the front of the room and asked for a microphone. And as he did, he spoke of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Now, we don't talk about this a ton because Glenn is not the sort of person who wants attention and that family doesn't want attention. But here's the thing I want you to hear. Do you know how many people that I have heard in the last six months who've come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the way they saw that family respond in that? And no one wants that. No one chooses that. But hear me in this. They saw, people saw real faith out of that tragedy and you know what happened? They were like, that's real and I want that. I want a God who will stand with me in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Ask yourself this question. What's your valley? What's your shadow? What's the thing you're walking in right now? The thing that if you were to look up at God, you say, hey, that's enough piling on right now. That thing right there, the thing that you want to run away from, that's the thing that God says, if you will let me, I can redeem it to show fruitfulness. And this is where Christians distinguish themselves from the rest of the world because the rest of the world tends to say, I want to choose a path that will get me out of this. Whereas Christians, whenever the piling on starts to happen, say, I don't get it, I don't like it, I don't understand it, but I do recognize that God can redeem it right now for fruit. And as God redeems it for fruit, what happens? People taste that fruit and they go, the Lord is good and I want to follow Jesus. God wants to redeem the pain in your life so that people can see that he is real. Your response Your response to the worst day in your life is the best witness you have for Jesus. This is the truth. Now, when that happens and as people draw close and they ask you, how are you standing through this? How are you walking through this? And here's the thing. It may be a season that lasts a week. It may be something that lasts the rest of your life. And we'll ask questions like, why did I get picked for this? Why does this happen? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not even going to pretend. This is what I'm going to tell you. The deeper the manure, the greater the harvest can be. 
And God has put you in some circumstances, whether they be a little bit of a squeeze or whether they feel like a hydraulic vice grip, and he is letting you know that he can redeem those things and bring forth fruit. But here's the frustrating part. We can forsake our fruitfulness if we walk away. And a lot of us do. It's too much. Can't do it. The more fruit that you bear, the more that, that God actually shows himself. And this is kind of counterintuitive. The more that he's displayed, the more glory he gets. And you don't go into it seeking attention, but somehow you actually, the, the spotlight comes on you too. But if you forsake that, you run away from that, the fruit doesn't come. And you lose the ability to display the power of God. But as you do, people are drawn and they say, what made you like that? How are you like that? This is whenever you get to say things like, hey, I'd love to tell you more about the Lord. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to, to, to study the scripture with you so that you might understand who Jesus is. These are the sorts of things that you have the opportunity to do and you show fruit. Now, what happens if the piling on comes and we try to get out from under it? Flip with me just back a book to Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, verse 12. Jesus and his disciples are walking near Jerusalem. This is what we read, Mark 11, verse 12. The next day when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. Now, I don't know about you, I always was like, why is Jesus mad at the tree? Like, what's, what's the deal? Here's the thing. It wasn't the season for figs. We, we read that here. But there is, um, when Jesus goes to inspect the tree, it, it tells us that the tree is filled with leaves. He goes to inspect the tree. There's a bud that appears before the fruit does. And in, in Arabic, it's a taksh. And it looks like an almond. They pull these almonds off and then they, they eat them. And he went, and none of those almonds were there, so he knew that the tree was barren. It would never bear fruit. Now, what does Jesus do right after that? He goes to Jerusalem into the temple and flips over the tables and then comes back and the fig tree is withered. The fig tree is a symbol for Jerusalem. What was happening in Jerusalem? Lots of religion, no fruit. What does the fig tree have? It doesn't have fruit. What does it have? It's got a lot of leaves. It's got a lot of leaves. My fear is that we would be people like this fig tree. I, I don't know about you. Maybe you're not familiar with figs. I mean, I, I, I'm not a big fig guy. My, my fig knowledge kind of begins and ends with fig newtons. You know, that's about it. <laughs> but if you cut open a fig, you know what you see? You see hundreds of seeds stacked inside. That's what's inside a fig, Right? And what I want you to hear is this, is that when Jesus goes over and he looks at that tree and he sees no fruit, he knows no seed, he knows no possibility of multiplication. And when Jesus looks at you, if there's no fruit, there's no possibility of multiplication. So listen, there are a lot of religious people in this world who have a lot of leaves, but there ain't no fruit. There are a lot of churches with a lot of leaves, no fruit.
Whenever the fertilizer comes and it's piling on and you choose the way out that's not obedience or you choose the path that's not faithful to the Lord, you may be able to escape the pain, but what you will also do is you will guarantee that you'll have a beautiful coat of leaves, but you will have no fruit. And if you have no fruit, you will have no seed. The kingdom cannot grow. And whatever potential you had has been cut off. So what do we do with this today? I think the thing that I want us to think on is to ask the question of how am I responding to the most difficult circumstance in my life right now? I want, to, I want you to hear me. I am not saying that what you are going through or have been through is good. I'm not saying that. I am saying that God is strong enough and powerful enough to redeem it. Right? It doesn't say, the Bible does not say that only things that happen to us are good, but it does say that God can turn all circumstances for the good. He can redeem all things. And I want you to think, am I in a circumstance right now and in that circumstance Am I, for whatever reason, looking at it in a way that is casting blame on God rather than resting in God to bring fruit? Am I looking at it in such a way that I'm almost claiming um, a, a status that is an irredeemable, irredeemable victim status? And again, I want to be clear, many of us in this room are victims. Terrible things have happened to us. But do we believe that our status is beyond redemption? In an age where it's in vogue to speak of trauma, we need to be careful to, to not classify trauma as something that God can't heal and move through and redeem. Right? God is bigger than all of these things. He can move. He can work. Some of us, need to just say, I don't have any fruit because I've never actually believed that there's a God big enough to work in the middle of this. Some of us don't have fruit because we're just unrepentant right now. And we need to confess sin and we need to get right with the Lord. Some of us, God's been calling us to do something to step into ministry, to respond to him in obedience, something like that. And we're just, we're putting, we're putting up whatever kind of barriers. And there is all, there's innumerable stories and applications that we could take from this parable today. Here's the thing I want you to hear. God is not pleased with a great coat of leaves. Jesus curses that nonsense. Religion does not impress him. He wants fruit. In the earliest days of the church, there was a, a, a phrase that became popularized. It was this. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, why? Did you know that whenever the Roman soldiers and others would come to the doors to take Christians to execute them for their faith, do you know what they did not do? They did not meet them at the door with swords and knives and spears and try to fight back didn't do it. They walked bravely to their demise, whether that be in the Colosseum or at the burning stake. Why? Because they believed in a God who worked through crucifixion to bring about resurrection. 
And they believed in a God that was bigger than whatever pain that they would go through. And they would say, obedience to the way of Jesus, forgiving my enemy, loving my enemy, all the way to them killing me is more important than me having one opportunity to strike back in vengeance. And what I want you to hear today is that when you choose obedience and when you choose faithfulness in the midst of difficult, hard, stinky days, God starts to bring forth buds and fruit, and you may not even know it, but people come and they say, I want to know this Jesus. I have so many friends that reach a crossroads in their life like this. And for whatever reason, I've seen it a lot, people who are pastors. And for whatever reason, it tends to come in the home, in their, in their marriage, and they have to choose if they'll be faithful or not. I've seen it happen in tons of people's lives. Just the mess comes and then they have to choose. And here's the thing that I want you to hear. God can redeem whatever you're in and bring forth fruit, but he will not stop you from running towards being barren either. And I don't know what to tell you today. I don't know what you'll pick And I certainly can't make our church do one or the other. But I want to have a church that's fruitful. And I want to encourage you to choose fruitfulness today. So if I could, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. And I want you to just come before God right now and say, God, what do I need to do to be fruitful? So would you pray? Lord, message is hard. So hard for me. I'm thinking of times in my life where I've just bailed on you. Things were difficult, and instead of leaning in and doing the hard thing where fruit might have happened, I basically just grabbed barrenness instead. God, I don't want that for me. I don't want that for this church. Lord, I pray, will you push us, Lord, embrace obedience so that we might see fruitfulness. God, will you push us today to be fruitful so that the kingdom might grow? I'm amazed at the fact that, I mean, some of us in this room would say, we're not preachers, but God, we can preach a sermon whenever we are faithful to you in the hardest of days. So God, I pray. you would speak to us now, where we need to repent, that we would repent, where we need to to grab hold, that we would grab hold, where we need to obey, that we would obey, Lord. Just let us lean in and trust you, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would do what you say in your word. God, would you hear our prayer and grow fruit in this church? And God, would we become so fruitful that people would say, those are a people who know how to live in the difficult time. Those are a people who know how to live in the midst of the striving. Father, I pray right now, speak to our hearts. God, just that we would respond whatever you're asking us to do, God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text KNOWJESUS to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.